thing harder. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? It's us or them. It can't be flash. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld Season Review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we're giving you a bonus for Season 2, The Door. So much happened these last 10 episodes, we didn't get to fully cover it when we talked about the season finale, so we are back one last time to make sense of everything we saw this season. We're going to talk about how the audience and the critics received it, what were the main points of what we learned, and that's a tricky one because there was a lot. We'll talk about Dead or Alive, which characters are gone, which remain with us, who is in those pearls. We'll also cover some of the big questions that came up from season two, discuss if we answered them, including Clatcher's comments. Then we'll get into our season two reverie rating and MVB. And finally, we'll talk about season three and some theories we have. Jason, are you ready? Yes. So first, let's talk about reception. There were some mixed feelings on this season, and that's reflected in the ratings as well as the viewership. If you look at season one, which was really popular, we started off episode one with 1.96 million viewers. By the finale, episode 10, there were 2.24 million viewers, a definite increase. We opened up season two with 2.06 million, slightly less. They had a real drop by episode six. It went all the way down to 1 million. And then they finished out at about 1.5 million, so significantly less viewers than we had last season. So you can contribute this to a few things, one of which definitely is the different feel of season two. It was a lot more of a guessing game in the first half of the season. I mean, to the point where I was even getting upset with Dolores because I felt like she was speaking... In riddles of the Sphinx? (laughs) Yeah. She was speaking in a riddle way too much. It was often half sentences, and I even made the joke, if I was Teddy with her, I would have been like, woman... Finish a sentence, please. I have no idea what you're talking about. Kirk's going to get so mad at you. (laughs) So you have that against them. You also have the fact that it took two years to come out. So it wasn't that fresh in people's minds. But I do think Game of Thrones doing so well this year did help them because people wanted to feel that again. And they're like, okay, what's next? We We have so long to wait for Game of Thrones. Oh, Westworld's coming back. Hell yeah. Also, I believe that... Although this was the case two years ago, Netflix was really big two years ago. I believe it's even bigger now. And people are not used to being told when to sit down and watch TV. This is on late Sunday nights. I know Sunday nights are prime time for these types of shows, but I think when the masses have gotten so acquainted with, I'm going to watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it, I believe that might have tipped the scales a little bit. Keeping in mind that these numbers obviously aren't final numbers. These are the numbers after, what, the first week or so? Yes. Well, the season one numbers are finalized, and the season two, episode one, is pretty firm. Where we wind off at the end of season two still has some calculating to do. That's a a pretty close estimate. But the fact of the matter is they did lose a lot of people because of the first half of the season. It was different. They tried something different. I'm hoping season three steers away from it a little bit at least. Stop trying to fool us. Let the story 
do its fooling for us instead of being a magician on stage trying to fool us, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, it's a strong story. They have great characters and narrative. The creators are very smart. I think it can stand on its own. I'm surprised that you pinpoint it to the first half of the season. I think the frustrations continued throughout for a lot of people. They did mix it up and slow it down a bit when we went to Shogun World. And then again for Kiksuya, where we got to look at Akichida and Ghost Nation. But they maintained the puzzle box, if you will. And that's what everybody's calling it out there. They're saying that Nolan and Joy got too wrapped up, thinking that's the primary thing people were enjoying out of season one. And they had to up the ante for season two so that the mysteries wouldn't be solved as quickly. Well, yeah, they did speak about the Reddit community a lot right before season two started. So that was on their mind. They were even saying things such as they're going to put all the spoilers out there right Mm -hmm. away. So if people want to know about it, I think they got too wrapped up in that and forgot about some of the other things that brought people to Westworld in the first place. It wasn't just that. That was a portion of it. But don't sacrifice the other things that make your show great to try to maintain that And right up until the season finale, I know even listening to other podcasters, as the season went on, their tone went down. They got more negative and frustrated with it. We had our moments, of course, as well. I think it's a shame because, like I said, there is so much good going on here. And there's so much potential for where we could go in season three. I've already heard that HBO has asked them to significantly cut their budget And that's going to cause, again, a long break between now and season three so they can figure out how to keep making this show for less money. But I hope once they take a little time off and they look at sort of the direction everything has gone now, maybe they can get on a better footing for next time. Yeah, I think they can take this season as a learning curve. Sophomore slump, if you want to call that, but that's extreme. Right now we're talking about some of the pitfalls of it. But looking back on it, now that we've had two weeks to digest, I look back at it very fondly. They still had some of the core elements that were so good about episode one. We often say we started this podcast because we love TV, we love movies, because it served as an escape from real life. And this did just that. It was a world that you could go see where there's all robots and you can pretend to be a gunslinger and you can pretend to be in those bars and play poker. You could do everything that, as a kid watching the Westerns, you were always like, oh, that'd be so cool to try. Or as an adult with slightly darker fantasies. Yes, exactly. They had great actors, great storylines. And again, not to be a broken record, it's just what the only thing that they were lacking was what Kiksuya really gave us, which was a nice narrative. And every so often they would give us that narrative, which would remind us, oh my God, they can really write. So again, I do have really fond memories of season two now that I've digested it, and I am excited for season three. I'll bullet point it for you. For me, the negatives were a little bit of confusion for confusion's sake, the trickery with the timelines to keep you guessing, sometimes the lack of delving into character arcs where perhaps they needed it. It's hard enough for us to connect with an AI, a robotic being And then to get on board with them having a revolution of their own because they deserve to exist as a new species. But when you then struggle to create characters that we can connect with emotionally, as well as pulling away from the human perspective, that makes it really tough. Something else we talk about with a lot of other shows and movies, and we haven't brought up here, but in hindsight, I think it applies. The lacking of a strong bad guy or antagonist 
in this season, it's really been Delos as a company. And they're portrayed as being very inept, almost silly at times. We struggled with wondering if Dolores herself was an antagonist at points. The man in black, and he's a bullet point unto himself of difficulty. The positives. Visually, it's still amazing. As an overall story from start to finish, now that we wipe away the trickery, I'm still intrigued. Potential for the future. We haven't even seen the rest of the parks. I mean, we got to see two new parks this season that were amazing and gorgeous. And there's more to come. We have yet to see the outside world. I'm fascinated by that. It's HBO, so the production value continues to be super high. I hope they can manage that going into season three. We're nitpicking it because we're putting it under a microscope, but I do still rank it up there with some of the best TV that we have right now. So I'm excited to dive into all of this. Let's just take a brief moment to talk about how the critics received it. The New York Times was down on it. They said season two is still overly focused on bloodbaths and narrative fakeouts, and much of the dialogue sounds as if it were written as a tagline for a subway poster such as Dolores's I have one last role to play, myself. But Westworld remains a glorious production to look at, and there are stretches where it feels invigorated by its new expanded world, freer to breathe, relax, invent. IndieWire wrote all around the actors remain strong, including a number of new cast members. Where season two stumbles is its structure and pacing. Episodes don't carve equal time for everyone, they focused on the two most connected stories and sometimes break for an entire hour without getting back to a series regular. And I agree, actually, with all of that. As far as what we looked at for the seasons, Lisa Joy said season one was an examination of consciousness, this emerging species beginning to hear their own voices. I think this season was really about exercising their agency and autonomy. Out of that rises the issues of free will. That's very much a theme and something addressed head-on in the finale of season two. Not only of the host's free will and self-determination, but also that of the humans. Now we're starting to question whether when you're looking at AI and humans with their organic intelligence, who is really the one that is programmable and who is the one that can have real agency? Well, I definitely agree with Lisa Joy. As you read that, I was thinking specifically of the computer Logan. Yes. And him breaking down the human, realizing that he was trying to get too complicated. And it was way more simpler than that. We're really just ones and zeros. We're just these programs that we're running on. We're hamsters and hamster wheels with the illusion of being on our own. And that's a concept we took all season to get to, but we've been driving towards, right? The thesis of maybe humans are the ones that are all coding and are actually very simple and can't change much. Whereas the hosts have the ability to be something new, potentially something better. That's a theory that you and I struggled with, particularly myself. But I've thought about where they might be taking that in season three. We'll talk about it later on. And if it's a possibility, I think I'll feel a lot better about this season when I look back. With that said, let's move into our main points of season two. I'll try to keep it brief, but there was a lot that happened. Let's break it down starting from the beginning. Ten days after Ford's death, Dolores has embarked on a bloody campaign to hunt the survivors. We ended season one seeing Ford's journey into night concluding. We open up with season two finding out a lot has occurred in this space of time that we missed. And a lot of this season is going to be about figuring that out through Bernard's jumbled memories, what happened in this massacre at Westworld and how do we get to this place we're at by the end? 
Maeve recruits Hector and Lee to help her find her daughter. Ford reveals to the man in black this game is meant for him, and he is then shortly joined by his daughter Emily. Two weeks later, a Delos security team is sent to contain the park and figure out what happened by interrogating Bernard about the dead hosts in the flooded valley, but his memories are scattered. Dolores recruits the Confederados headed to the valley beyond and reprograms Teddy to survive in this rebellion. Charlotte tries to track down Peter Abernathy's control unit, slash file, slash encryption key, while Bernard reunites with Elsie, who we found out was abandoned in a cave for quite some time. We learn of the James Delos testing and the secret Protagoras lab. I want to pause it there because if you hadn't guessed from our episode reviews, that was some of my favorite material for season two. Learning about the human host experiment that's been secretly worked on within Westworld and the fact that they were testing the founder, James Delos, over and over again for fidelity. Just amazingly artistic and beautiful and so well acted by Peter Mullen. I definitely have to agree with you, Chris. The James Delos scenes, I think I'm going to take with me forever. Whenever I think of season two, I'm going to think of James Delos. That storyline was so interesting. That was our first time seeing what's going on and seeing someone suffer like that where you can't get out of it and it's over and over and over again. Feeling your worst day. So well acted, so intriguing. I had to watch that a couple times. We can't get into MVB yet, but I do have to say that I've had issues with this because he was such an impact for season two, but he wasn't really the main character. It's very difficult. Yeah, I wish we had a separate category for most exciting being of the season. Most memorable. It goes to show you don't even have to do a lot time-wise to build such an amazing and strong character arc. We didn't know anything about James Delos until well into season two. I remember seeing that website when we were scouring the web, trying to find any Westworld hidden websites and things like that, and we found that Delos site. And we saw the actor, and you were freaking out. I had no, no idea who that was. And I was like, okay, I guess this guy's awesome. And then it came true. He was amazing. You saw him on screen. You're like, your tirade makes sense. I love him, too. <laughs> they built that up so beautifully. And talk about feeling connected to a human character, even though he was in so many ways a terrible person. As you said, because we see this other side of it, where he's being forced to relive his most terrible traumas over and over, existing in a state of confusion where he's continually reset. We do have empathy for that. Our human characters are very human. Look at Logan, for instance. And yet they do a good job of getting us to feel for that. I think it could have been taken a step further with some of our other humans, and I feel they could apply that a little more to the AI unless there's something going on that we don't quite understand yet. Back to the overview, Maeve and crew find themselves in Shogun World and then fleeing Ghost Nation at the homestead, all the while Maeve gaining her superpowers. We can just say Maeve was also an extremely exciting part of season two. Out of all of our returning characters, I believe she remained one of the most interesting. We did feel growth, especially in the beginning, and she continued to deliver what she was giving us in season one, which was the kick-ass moments, the hell yeah moments. Something that was lacking for all of our characters, except for the moments with Dolores. But with Dolores, it was different because instead of feeling like, hell yeah, we were feeling like, oh, oh my shit. God. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she was one of my favorite, again, 
this season? That was an area I had difficulty with. Season one, right off the bat, you were drawn to Maeve, and you said she's going to be the most important character in this show. Yeah, the first time we met her. You said, I love her. I love Tandy Newton as an actress. And you watched This Is Gonna Go Somewhere, and I was still very much team Dolores. I adored Peter Abernathy, and I think that also made me more endeared to Dolores' journey. I was 100% team Bernard, and that got difficult in season two. I still appreciated it, but it was hard to want to see him succeed with everything else that was going on around him and feeling like he was being controlled. So yeah, we were able to get on board with what Maeve was going through. It's so human-like, this search to get her daughter back, right? The relationship she built with Lee was very interesting. And while all this is going on, Dolores is infiltrating the Mesa. She destroyed the cradle, holding the host data and the place of simulation. But before it was destroyed, Ford hitched a ride out inside of Bernard's Pearl. Maeve had a showdown with the man in black, but was then wounded and taken to the Mesa, where the tech stole her coating to use inside of Clementine. Akichita helped keep Maeve's daughter safe, and we learned of his journey to becoming woke and spreading the truth. Hands down, favorite episode. Kiksuya was filled with heart, emotion, beautiful narrative, clever writing. It was a movie in its own. Yes, and again, we had wondered at Ghost Nation for a long time, but there wasn't any tomfoolery there. It was just a faction of the hosts that were kind of kept to the side we didn't get to hear about. Akisha is introduced and within one episode I start saying to myself, I feel more emotionally tied to him than any other host I've seen on this show. I have to agree. Looking back on it, season one, the beginnings of season two, I did see them as someone bad. We saw the, the struggle that Maeve had and the way they were portraying them. But this is the kind of twist that I really enjoy in shows because they weren't trying to trick us, trick us. They were letting the narrative trick us. They were letting our preconceived notions of a band of characters who are screaming and yelling, they're painted and they're coming for this child. Yes, they, they allowed our own stereotypes to dictate that narrative until they started to sprinkle in some things. And season two... Right from the beginning, and I believe the end of season one, I started to have this thought in my head that they might not be these bad, bad wolves. I was afraid to orally say it to the world until maybe two episodes before Kiksuya. I think we brought it up a little bit. I can't remember how much was in conversations between you and I and how much was actually on the episodes. But that's a lot of good points in addition to the fact that we were seeing everything from Maeve's point of view. Through her perspective, these were bad people coming after her. Every time we were able to broaden the focus and see them from the outside, we started to say, well, that doesn't quite add up with what we've been shown. There has to be more going on here. But then instead of playing with us, they just pulled the focus away again. And we were left to wonder about it, which is brilliant. Yeah, I like that. And I was thinking about the Clatchers that wrote into us who were pointing out to us, and they weren't angry. They were just pointing out to us that they wondered, uh, do we feel like it might be uh, maybe racism that the tribesmen aren't talked about? They're not part of the story. They're not important at all. They're just viewed as these evil men. And I remember being very delicate when we write these kinds of emails because, you, you know, it's an email. So one word could be read in the wrong context and then you're fucked (laughs) so we were very delicate in saying that we believe well we simplified it and we said uh, think of it as a video game 
And we believe just like in season one of Westworld, they showed us that the further out you got from Sweetwater, the harder the level, quote unquote. And they were on the outbrinks of Westworld. They were the hardest level. And we were trying to correlate that with we're not there yet. So they're giving us little pieces of them so we're aware of them. But we haven't reached that level in the storyline. But we believed at the time, and luckily we were correct, that eventually we would get an intimate feel of who these characters are and what they stand for. And in addition to that, there is some inherent prejudice built into having to sell this as a business to other people. We see that with Arnold's creations and how things were within the park when it was in beta version versus how Ford had to change them when it was unveiled to the public. Delos became the money backers and everything had to change. He wanted to give them something that would serve their baser desires for these very simple humans who just want to come and kill people and have sex and experience this Western world. We also learned that those base drives are similar throughout the other parks. Even when you're in Raj world and it's tigers and other sorts of creatures, it's colonial India, the bottom line is still kind of the same. There's big game hunting, there's sex, there's violence, there's shootouts. So they have found what appeals to people and what sells, and we'll get to that later. Does that in and of itself bring you a skewed audience, a certain percentage of people, that that's what they're looking for? And so ultimately when we find out that they're also trying to decode humans here to unravel the human mind so eventually they can recreate human consciousness to put into host bodies, was there a massive error in only being able to look at this certain percentage that comes to the park? You bring up audience, and it just reminds me of that <laughs> remark I made, I guess in the season finale, when we were talking about four million souls. And I said, wow, that's a lot of people. <laughs> and it's at Disney World. Do you think Disney World gets four million a year? And thanks to our Clatridge, we know that's not the case. I forget now, it was like 32 million or 68 million yeah, a year. They said, and they're oh, like, oh, sweet Jason. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know math, so to me, it's, it's all the same. Well, 32 million is more than 4 million. Uh, okay. Just so you know. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... <laughs> to me, 4 million sounds like a lot of people. <laughs> well, it just to me, it, it's like I'm in the wrong business. I should own Disney World. <laughs> Well, yeah. And then we think about this show and the fact that it costs, what do we say, $40,000 a day to come to Westworld? Yeah. So the money is probably similar to what Disney World makes a year because it's not 40000 a day, but it is up there, especially if you want to go to all the parks and you have a lot of kids. It's expensive. And Westworld, the show in universe takes place in a somewhat distant future where we find out as a population, it seems we're better off. We don't have to worry about things the way we used to. And so is everyone a lot more wealthy than they used to be? What kind of population are we bringing into this park? It's still a bit fuzzy. I'm excited at how season three can tell us more. But back to season two, overview, we learn of the man in black's past, his wife Juliet's suicide, and his struggle with his daughter Emily. Bernard deletes Ford from his mind, Teddy commits suicide, and the man in black kills his daughter. They all head to the valley beyond in search of the door. So as far as the man in black, these storylines that you just said are very interesting, very intriguing. Reading it again and remembering it, that's great writing. But I think what hurt him for this season is that they waited till the last episode 
to give us all of this. They made us follow him around, try to figure out what's going on. We saw him sitting with Lawrence in the bar. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And he goes into the wall. He pulls out dynamite. We're like, what is he up to? He sounds so like in the zone. And then there was no payoff there. It was just him, us guessing, is he a host now? What's going on? Until this last episode, I feel like they could have made the Man in Black storyline. If they gave us this and a little more detail throughout the season, I think it would have weighed more on our heads and hearts. But again, it's the trickery. And this was a central part of season one that we don't learn until the very end. The man in black is actually William. Now, people were on to that for a while, but the reveal is saved so that we have an impact at the end. In season two, they wanted us to wonder the entire time, is he a human host hybrid? In fact, how long has it been that way? By the very end of the finale, we are told, and it's not even implicit within the show, and I don't like that. We are told later on by the creators, no, no, he's been human all of season two. This proves the point of what we learn within The Forge when Avatar Logan speaks to us, that humans live on their loops even more than the hosts do. His following the path and retracing the steps within Westworld is his human loop. Yeah. But now at the very end, at some point, he will be transformed into a human host and doomed to repeat that over and over again at the hands of his host daughter. So let's break that down because I had a lot of friends and acquaintances in the real world uh, ask me about this. And funny enough, they all had the same question. So he was a host that whole time? What the hell? Mm. So as far as what we know, the reading we did, the interviews we read with the creators... What they're telling us at this point, and who knows, they could be lying, is that all of the Man in Black's scenes, up until the post credit scene, he was a human. That was the first time he went through that loop. After watching the post credit scene with the Man in Black host, we're led to believe that he's gone through this now over and over and over again. Yes, let's make it clear. The finale post credit scene is supposed to take place in a far-flung future. So we don't even know how much time, but since the finale ends and he stops being human, he will now repeat that indefinitely. And he's been repeating it. So there's a lot of questions there. There's, um, okay, so it's really far in the future and it looks like everything is in disarray. Is the world in disarray or the forge just in disarray or all of Westworld and the company in disarray? We don't know yet and we're not supposed to. Also, let's break that scene down a little bit. Again, assuming what we're being told is true, his daughter or the host of his daughter lets the man in black know you're not in a simulation. This is the real world. So the first question, I guess, is answered. Is he in a forge or something similar, a new one or what have you? And he's going through that just like we saw Delos in the final season. In the final episode. Just like we saw the hosts within the cradle. It was all a simulation exactly. until they figure out if it works or not. And then we can go back to IRL. So again, if she's telling the truth, no, that's not the case. He is in the real Inside world. Inside of the Protagoras lab. So he's a physical host. But then, and I don't know how much time you want to dwell on this, but I have further questions as, well, why is he already wounded and messed up? Is that part of his story? Because with Delos, they didn't do that. They, you know, he was fresh every Reset, time. Right. Yeah. Is he supposed to come to this point for a reason? Is this supposed to be his awakening? 
his woke. And uh, I am intrigued with that answer. I hope they do give us that in a nice narrative. Um, but with what we've been reading and talking to Lisa Joy, we're not going to get too many scenes with him next season. No, that's going to be put very much on pause. And eventually we will be coming around to that far distant future, but not anytime soon. So real quick, what that tells me when Westworld says you're not going to get too many scenes with that person is that all the scenes you will get, you will not be able to believe because they're going to be... Or understand. Understand or believe because they're going to fuck with you the whole time. (laughs) And that's what I worry about the answers we're getting even now. I encourage you to go back and rewatch episode nine. It was more than just a little bit of messing with you. Vanishing point. Correct. It was flat out red flag clues that the man in black was already a host hybrid. At some point before the beginning of season two or during season two, he had been transformed. I do like, on the one hand, knowing that he was human and we got to see this first time around him experiencing those things. It supports their theory of the fact that humans live on a loop. It shows you how his cornerstones were built. We learned about the tragedies of his past and everything leading up to him killing Emily creates that foundation for him to then become a human host. But it means we were lied to an awful lot. And it brings up more questions than answers for me. I'm willing to accept it and enjoy where that goes in the future. But looking back on season two, I think there's a lot that's not going to make sense now, knowing that. And so I find that a little bit frustrating. But I'm going to do a rewatch at some point and see if my feelings change. Back to the overview, we have a couple more things to cover. So we have all these different groups headed to the valley beyond. Bernard with his scattered memories. Maven crew looking for her daughter. Akichita leading his tribe to their Eden. Throughout all of this, we're getting such badass scenes with Ford. Those you cannot forget. We learned so much about Ford's background. Not everything is as scripted as we thought. He is still pulling strings the entire time, though. And once we get there, we learn about the Forge itself, which holds human consciousness and has tried to perfect recreating human minds, only to find out they are, in fact, simple. It also turns out Bernard has created an Eden inside of the Forge, where the host can live peacefully and then de-addressed his memories so Delos could not learn his secrets. He told the machine to grant Dolores access to the library of human minds to learn how their kind can survive. Both her and the man in black want to destroy this place, and she wants to use it as a weapon against the humans. The man in black struggles throughout to prove he has free will, but is ultimately shot and wounded by Dolores, who continues on to the forge. There, Bernard stops her from deleting all the host data, shoots her, and decides to delete the guest data instead. He opens the door for the host to enter. So again, we start off season two from the perspective of the hosts, learning about the cradle, learning about how they would simulate things within the park, still thinking that's where we're supposed to be looking. Dolores comes and blows it up, gets rid of it. If they're to be real more like the humans. They have to be irreplaceable, meaning they can't just be re-downloaded, backed up, brought back to life, controlled. Having some type of mortality is a piece that she has decided she's going to give to them. Another part of her journey throughout season two, she starts to make decisions on behalf of the host as a species. She knows they're leading a revolution 
and it's going to be difficult. And she's going to do whatever it takes to get there. Unfortunately, she starts to become a bit of what she's been rebelling against with the humans. But then we move perspective over to the human side. We find out Delos has, in fact, been screening humans, using the hats the entire time to try to read their minds, figure it out. The Forge is a simulation for human consciousness. The system lives within the Avatar Logan. And Bernard has been building this secret world inside of there where eventually these hosts can go and be safe. Um, Dolores doesn't like that idea, so Bernard has to take her out of the way so he can save them. So I don't want to break these scenes down again because we did it during the season, but I am reminded of the struggles I had with Dolores in the beginning of this with her rebelling against Bernard's idea. I was thinking, oh, God, that's so brilliant as we're being told about this special place. It's a safe haven. This is exactly what they wanted. Because I know the real world isn't that awesome. (laughs) They're trying to get to this place that's not that cool, man. But it's real. Yeah. And, you know, some of them don't entirely want that. Dolores definitely does. She thinks that's the only way. Yeah, so her argument is, no, you're giving them another false life. And when she starts speaking to Bernard as soon as they got out of the forge or the system... I was getting angry with her. I was like, no, God, don't do this again. Come on. But looking back on it, well, specifically right when the season ended, I was thinking she was right, but Bernard was right as well. They were both right in their own ways. And they kind of came to that conclusion, right? They need both of those perspectives. They might not always agree, but it's a little of the Ford Arnold thing, Mm. and it takes that to make it work. Maybe I'm being a little suspicious, She doesn't change her viewpoint one iota until Bernard shoots her and then brings her back. Do you think he changed something within her? No, because I don't think he had the time. I believe, and this might just be hopeful thinking, we are going to see a more layered character when it comes to Dolores in season three. And I don't believe it's because of Bernard's doing. I believe it's because of her new quest and her new controls. But uh, we'll wait for that till the end of the episode. Well, yeah, it, it does make all the difference, though, because the point they come to in the end is that hosts are not simple, and they do have the ability to change where humans do not. Dolores can change her primary drives, change her viewpoints, decide it's okay to let the hosts live on in their Eden if they want that. If Bernard changed anything about her programming before bringing her back, that becomes moot. That's no longer really the case that she changed that much. We also know that before bringing Bernard back, Dolores has decided along the way to alter him in the sense of not keeping 100% faithful to the original Arnold. She says, in fact, well, that man didn't survive, so maybe the changes she's seeing within the recreation of Bernard are good. Is that Teddy-like? Has she taken that to a different level with his recreations to try to help him survive? Or is it natural evolution? These are major questions, and we don't have the backstory yet to know which way we're leaning on it, but intriguing. So we have all the hosts headed for the door. The procession is stopped before they can all get through by the Delos attack led by zombie Clementine. Lee dies in a moment of heroism to allow Maeve and crew to continue. But in the ensuing fight, Hector, Armistice, and Maeve are taken down along with many others. A lot of the hosts do manage to make it through and are beamed up via satellite to a secure location. 
However, Bernard can't stop the flooding of the forge that Dolores started, washing up all the wiped host bodies into the valley. Delos struggles to round up surviving humans and recommission the leftover damaged hosts. At some point in all this chaos, Dolores killed the real Hale and put her consciousness into a reprinted version, unbeknownst to all but Bernard, who she kills. In disguise, she smuggles herself and five pearls off the island with the Delos rescue. She goes to Arnold's home in the real world to start fresh and ensure the survival of the host species, recreating Bernard once more as her counterpoint, as well as another inside of Hale's body. Okay, so there's a few things there. One that I was disappointed in is the flood. The whole season, I thought the flood was going to mean a lot more. We were introduced to this new body of water in episode one, and I thought this would have a deeper meaning. I kept thinking it was Bernard. He had to do this for some reason, some deeper reason we just did not know yet. The fact that it was just Dolores trying to wipe it all out kind of simplified that too much for me. It had less of a meaning as far as the flood is concerned. I like the pieces between it, the reason why the bodies were laid out. Oh, because they were the freed bodies, and that's why most of them were virgin brains. I like that. Mm -hmm. Very clever. Then moving on to Hale. This is the type of twist I really enjoy because they didn't have to give us half sentences. They didn't have to lie to us to get that twist out. That's brilliant. I did not see that coming that, that whole time. Oh, my God, Hale was Dolores. That had a lot more impact for me. See, you like that? I felt like that was classic Westworld trickery for the sake of it. By the way, this entire time you've been seeing a different character. Who's in whose body? Who's a host and who's not? Yeah, but that had a meaning to it. That had a reason. It just felt different than Bernard half-remembering and messing with our brains. I love... The unreliable narrative. We love Mr. Robot, but it just, uh, there's a level to it. It does get frustrating. It gets too much. Right. Yeah. And then lastly, with what you were talking about, and I'm very intrigued, I'm very happy that we're left off with this, is the five pearls. Mm. And they're in the real world. And Bernard's brought back. So that's one pearl. There's Dolores. And someone else is now in Hale's body. Who is who? Don't speculate. We have a whole segment coming okay. next. Okay. But it's just very, uh, that I did really enjoy. Agreed. There was so much to like. And as we said, we wind off the season with this post credit scene of the far future and the man in black. And that is going to finish it for the very belabored overview that I hoped to do a lot quicker than that. That's probably my fault. I kept interrupting. <laughs> That's OK. So let's move into a fun segment we're calling Dead or Alive. First, let's review who we lost in season two. For sure, we say goodbye to Lee and Elsie. Also, the human Emily, Charlotte Hale, Strand and the Delos team, and a big maybe on Ford. That's a big maybe on Ford. <laughs> <laughs> and we know we'll get Tessa Thompson, who plays Hale, but she's going to be a host with someone else's pearl. But at least we'll still get Tessa Thompson. Correct. We also think we say goodbye to the hosts who went to the Sublime, including Akichita and Kohana. Maeve's daughter, and Teddy. I hope we do, because I want that story to be a happy ending for Akichita and for Teddy. I don't see a reason to bring them back. I mean, maybe there'll be a clever reason later on, but definitely not season three, bring them back. They left it on a bit of a question with Dolores saying she has sent them somewhere humans can't reach, but that 
feels debatable. How did she do that? Where did they go? Is it truly a paradise where they wound up? Oh, I think it is because Bernard made it. I agree with that. But when you think about someone like Maeve's daughter, will she remember that her real mother isn't there? She has this semi-replacement mother. How much of those memories do they maintain? I like keeping it a bit of a mystery. I don't think we need to go back and spell it out A to Z. But it's something perhaps we can wonder about in the meantime. It's going to be a spinoff produced by George R.R. Martin. And they're going to make like six more spinoffs off of that too. So for characters that are alive, we have Stubbs. I'm eager to see where that goes in season two. Felix and Sylvester, against all odds. We have some version of the man in black. A host. human host version that we might not see at all in season three, but he is a major character that will come back into play. And of course, we have Dolores and Bernard. Dolores is dead to me. No, not really. really. Actually, to be honest, again, I should be waiting for this, but I I have really high hopes for Dolores in season three. I have high hopes for Bernard, and I know things are looking a little shady, but we've spent so much time with him not being allowed to figure out who he actually is and discover the Bernard he wants to be. He's been controlled and rebuilt and killed a million times. I know he's going to have issues with Dolores, but I'd like to see who he finds himself as in the real world. Oh, for sure. I have high hopes for Bernard as well. I meant as far as Dolores as a character. No, you know what? Both of them. You're right. Because season two, I'm a little let down on both of them. So yeah, Mm. I think they could do something really fun in season three for them. Yeah, as we said, paired together, that could be exciting in addition to who is inside of those pearls. We know we have five, and for sure Bernard was one of them. So that leaves four question marks. Some believe Maeve. I thought that was a clever answer. I think it would be fun. But knowing that we will see some Westworld and remembering how Felix and Sylvester kept looking at Maeve's body when they were being told to salvage what they can, I think they need to have a strong character still in Westworld for us to have an interest and have an emotional bond still with that world. So it kind of makes more sense to me that Maeve's Pearl isn't there and she'll be in Westworld. I'm of two minds because from a character standpoint, thinking about who Dolores would want to take with her, I feel like Maeve would be at the top of that list. They seem to be at odds throughout season two, but she had so much respect for her. She finally got it by the end that she needed to allow Maeve to make her own path. That's what free will is. If they're going to be a new kind of species, Maeve has the right to choose that, even if that means dying. I think she had hoped Maeve would make it out, and I think in Dolores' mind, Maeve would make a great partner for whatever this next venture is out in the real world. But from a narrative, Westworld the show point of view, I 100% agree with you. I don't think they can pull away completely from focus on the park. And there isn't really anybody else left that I care about enough other than Maeve. Now, this isn't to say they couldn't bring in new characters. As we said, there was no James Delos. There was no Akichita prior to this season. They could build up something entirely new that we hadn't thought about. I wonder if Clementine, she'd be interesting if they fix her up. Yeah, or somebody we just haven't even met yet. If Maeve does stay in the park, I like feeling connected to her and getting her point of view, but I wonder what her journey would be there now. To try to find Hector... Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think they could utilize her as a tool to see other worlds. But 
I don't think this storyline gives us or the writers the ability for us to really live in those other worlds. Just like season two, we saw the Raj for one episode or half an episode. And we got two episodes with Shogun World. And they felt like a sidebar. Yes. And there was no reason except for to show us Shogun World. I mean, there were some reasons in there, but it wasn't main storyline reasons. And no, I don't mind that. Me neither. It's a lot of fun. And just for the sake of seeing those other worlds, I would enjoy it. But what can we do with maybe we haven't done already? Go back and find Hector. We've seen that story. Bond with a human. Travel to other parks there would have to be new motivation for me to maintain that. Now, we do have some far-fetched theories on how that could go, but we're going to save it for the end. Back to who's inside of the pearls. For Dolores as a character, I could see her wanting to take her father, Peter Abernathy. And we know she has his pearl already. I think it only makes sense. He seems the highest candidate if, and only if, that pearl still works. We know there was so much messed up within Peter Abernathy's mind when they tried to download all that information within the passenger file. But she's got a computer there. You would think? She can fix that. It was just code on top of the main code. So you could, in theory, find that and get rid of it. You would think she could set that to rights. And if not Teddy, her deepest connection was to her father. If not Teddy, what do you mean? There's no way that's Teddy. One of the pearls. No, I oh. mean, as far as her emotional connection, oh, somebody okay. she would choose to take with her, and maybe more her father, because all of season two, we learned she was telling Teddy he's not the man he needs to be to survive out there. When it comes to the blue tongue metaphor, her hmm. father made the right choice where Teddy made the wrong one. One last possibility we can think of, and we have to bat it around, is that it could be Ford himself. Now, this is a leap because we don't actually know that he printed a pearl for himself. But I would suspect that he would have had that all along. I think it is Ford. And again, I'm jumping. But those scenes we saw where Bernard was taking that pearl in his memories, that wasn't Abernathy's because Abernathy had his pearl in him. This was a pearl for Ford. It was not utilized in season two except for those scenes with him grabbing it. I would even venture as far to say that if It's not Maeve who's in Hale's body now, which I'm really leaning towards it's not. I think it only makes sense that it's Ford. Mm. You could say it's Abernathy, but I think it would just be more interesting if it was Ford. It's does she want a partner and an emotional connection and then it's her father? Does she want somebody to help her complete her mission? Then it's Ford. And she's got five So it could be all of these people, and it still leaves one that we have no conjecture at all on. So Forbes.com brought up three very interesting questions they pulled from season two. We've talked about a lot of this already. They must know because it's called (laughs) Forbes.com. So Ford made it? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, One thing we already touched on is the Valley Beyond really a happy ending. What would it be like? Are they safe? The next was, what was Ford's plan for William? And while we have talked about the man in black and what did his journey really mean, we haven't discussed it specifically as far as it seemed Ford was leading him on a journey. If what the creators say is true, and the man in black has been human throughout season two, what was the point of Ford sending him on this mission, this game that was meant for him? That's a great question. That was one of the payoffs we were hoping to see. And they reiterated 
that question. In Vanishing Point, when Ford sees the man in black in the real world, in one of those flashbacks at the bar, and he says, no, you have one more game to play. And we're like, oh, this is intriguing. This was really fun. Is the game just that he was going to lead him through all the steps that he's gone through already with these parks, revisiting all these moments, these pivotal moments that he had in the parks to die and become a host? Well, and Ford, you would think, was at baseline against the human-host hybrid experiment that was going on. The Protagoras lab was the Man in Black's secret project. And Ford says, you let me have my hosts, and I let you have the forge, and we weren't supposed to cross lines. If Ford this whole time thought that the actual hosts were the superior species, he wouldn't necessarily like what's going on in the forge. Did he want William to come to the opposite conclusion once he ran through all of this to see that the forge was a mistake and humans are simple and it's the hosts that are meant to survive? And he really doesn't have free will, something that William was railing against. Initially, William was all in on the host to the point that he believed they were alive and sentient when Logan was telling him that's a joke. You've just been hoodwinked by the magic of the park. But he turned so dark and cynical. Was Ford hoping to bring him back around to his point of view? I don't know. There's a lot we still don't know. And that's why I think Ford cannot be gone. We have to get back to that at some point. And when they come back to the Man in Black story, I'm hoping we'll learn about that. And finally, one of the bigger points we touched upon is the Forge's cynical view of humanity accurate. As we were saying before... The interesting thing is that they collected data from people who were enacting their darkest fantasies in the twisted playground of Westworld. I quote Forbes here, not only was their behavior abnormal, but the type of people who would be able to afford Westworld and have the inclination to actually go there would be a pretty narrow demographic. All the Forge ever sees is the worst of humanity, the repressed impulses and violent urges, so it reaches a false conclusion. The worst of humanity. So he's saying the rich people are the worst of humanity? Not necessarily. It's the fact that they want to come to this park to enact these fantasies. At base, that makes them different than the people who don't want to come to the park. You're seeing a skewed sample. Okay, I see that. But my view of the park, and this might be my ignorance or me cultivating a better story in my head, is something where, yes, you can have the decision to uh, make it a sexual thing, you can rape, you can do all those fucked up things. Or me, I'd be like, I want to go. I want to experience it. I want to play poker against these scary people knowing they can't kill me. You know what I mean? Um, I want to get in a gunfight knowing it's, I'm not killing someone real, so it's okay. I would be like William, young William. That's, that would be me. Or even we saw there were much tamer sections of the park where they could go out onto the homestead or find Dolores painting, taking in the natural splendor. Gold rush. Like these are very innocent, quote unquote, things. It's not about killing or pillaging. But the fact is the majority of people, why they come here, they know that's the type of people they're getting. So it still skews it. One of our Clatchers, Angela, wrote in to say the same thing. The results are based on a relatively small, non-random sample of the most powerful or the most wealthy or those we know are predisposed to respond to the lures of Westworld. They could hardly be called representative of the entirety of humanity. She says, and so I'm hoping it will be tested and play into future storylines. It would be fascinating to see what happens when Dolores starts to interact 
with other humans in the real world who may or may not change her opinions, upend her assumptions, her methods, and maybe even her game. Dominion, destruction, coexistence, collaboration, rehabilitation. Is any human or humanity as a whole worth redeeming after all? What if she meets other oppressed communities or people? I was thinking the same thing. I do truly hope. Dolores' journey on season three opens her up to other types of humans. People that have more goodness. People that are more complicated than just 10,000 lines of code. And maybe this changes her mind about the plan that she had. And I don't know what the ultimate plan was for Dolores, but it could alter that a bit. And I think that would be really exciting. Yeah, maybe when she meets children in masses and sees the innocence there and sees the possibilities of these children, maybe that would change her. Or like Angela is saying, other oppressed communities that are experiencing things similar to what they experienced as hosts. There's so many avenues they could take that. Would you like to see her like, Kill Trump, though? That'd be pretty cool. No, <laughs> no, but there was a lot of talk. Does she want to infiltrate some higher level of society out in the real world? Well, yeah, that's something I do want to discuss, so put a pin on that one. <laughs> so thank you, Angela, for that write-in. You know, I was thinking about this in the other worlds. We know there's a medieval, a medieval world. And I was remembering when I was younger, and I went to Vegas with my family, um, We went a few times because my father had conventions there. And the first two times we stayed at the Excalibur. And that was probably for me as the youngest because it was the most magical for a young kid. You think so? We stayed at Tropicana. I stayed, uh, when I got older, we stayed at Tropicana. Which I thought was awesome. That was really fun too. But, you know, um, the first two years I was really young. Mm -hmm. So Excalibur, I mean, come on. Uh, So I was thinking about that. It's different, obviously, but being in that world and everything looks like a castle, even your hotel room, it looked like you were in a castle. It was so magical, you know? And then talk about walking into the Luxor, which is a pyramid, and it's all Egyptian. That was my favorite. That was my favorite. They had the best arcade. Spent hours there. Remember, I was too young to gamble or anything like that. Yeah. And you can go on and on. Greek times, you can go to all these different worlds. That's Westworld in our times. Vegas. So that's why I say I would want to go there and just experience what I did in Vegas, but times 100 because you're actually in a castle for real. You know what I mean? Well, and you could think about all the different areas of that as potential possibilities for what other parks might be. I think there's even a possibility that a whole other park is more family friendly and tame. Yes. Because so far what we've seen has not been. They have small sections, Mm. but it's not built and billed as more of a Disney-esque vacation. But we're getting ahead of ourselves again. We have some Clatcher's questions and comments to discuss. So before we go to Clatcher's, I just wanted to discuss the Coffee Clatch Crew podcast, let you know what's going on. Westworld is ending. This is the last podcast until Westworld comes back. Of course, we'll be here. But we don't want you to forget about us until Westworld comes back because we have so much more to give you guys. We are taking a minor break. It's our first break in almost five years. We just need it to recoup, um, remember what the real world is. But I do want to tell you that in August... In September, we will have some podcasts coming out. Uh, We can't tell you specifically what they are. They won't be the typical following a show verbatim. One of the shows we were going to do next until we decided to take a break is Sharp Objects. 
This is another HBO show, part of what intrigued us. There was the miniseries last year, Big Little Lies, that we missed out on. I definitely would have liked to cover that because I read the book for that as well. It wound up being a great series. For this one, Sharp Objects is also based on a book by Gillian Flynn, the author who did Gone Girl. It looks very exciting. I still would like to watch and perhaps talk about that. We've thought about covering it maybe in a one-episode format just so we can get in on that conversation and have fun. The free podcast will be sort of like that until Mr. Robot, a little bit more sporadic and not following the typical season coverage. Unfortunately, Mr. Robot will not be back in September. We think hopefully October, but the official release date hasn't come out. And I'm a little nervous because Magicians is filming right now, too. I just hope, and we've been so lucky that our shows haven't opened at the same time. Oh, Especially if, with all the changing dates and time exactly. formats. So if they both open, I don't know what we're going to do at this point, but uh, we will be podcasting. As long as Robot comes back in October... We will be fine for The Magician's January premiere. And then, of course, we'll be back to cover the last season of Game of Thrones. So what we're telling you is, if you follow us on our Westworld channel, and you don't want to miss out on the surprise podcast that we're going to push, we're going to do some movie reviews, there's going to be some really cool things for you guys to follow. Find our main channel, which is an aggregate of every episode we ever release. It'll all go there, no matter what show we're doing. So... In your podcast app, just search Coffee Clatch Crew, and that channel has a white cover. It says Coffee Clatch Crew, and it has a little icon dude with a microphone. Click subscribe. And you won't miss anything. Now, as that coverage will be a little sporadic until around October, if you want more and regular Coffee Clatch Crew, there is always Patreon. We would encourage you to go check that out because there's a lot of fun things happening there. We are building an amazing community. There is a tier for everyone. You can find what's right for you. Try it out for a month and see how it goes. At the $5 level, you will get a bonus podcast every month where we cover interesting topics, what's in the news, what else we're watching. And at the $10 level, you will get that plus a movie podcast each month. We put up a poll. We see what you Clatchers want us to go watch. New movies that are in the theaters right now. Sometimes we cover fun throwbacks. Here and there, we cover the Harry Potter series. Plus, you'll get access to community chat boards, discounts off all of the gear in our Coffee Clatch crew store. And speaking of gear, this has been going on for a while now and will continue. We have the gear giveaway raffles. Thanks to an endowment from our sponsor every month, one new member who signs up to Patreon and one existing member will win a raffle and they can get a free item, any item of their choosing from the gear store. So here's the deal. It's a subscription based. It's uh, one of the ways that we're trying to make some of the money in order to pay for the free podcasts and deliver you more content. So any tier, you can go from the dollar tier where you have access to our community chat board where you'll see these little extra details, some videos, pictures that we don't do on our regular social media. You'll have access to that. Talk to other people about your favorite shows and what's going on there. Participate in the polls and, like we said, discounts on the gear, always. And it's a dollar. It doesn't, it's not even a cup of coffee. But you know that if you and 10,000 of our listeners do that, 
Well, I mean, that's $10,000. That'd be amazing. But <laughs> a dollar goes a long way. If that was the case, if we had 10000 at the dollar level, dollar level would get movie and bonus as well. But yes, <laughs> that's streaming. Well, well, that's a good point because the bigger the community goes, the more people we have participating, the more we are going to be able to give back to you. Before Patreon, there was no bonus podcast. There was no movie review coverage. There was only TV coverage. As that continues to expand, we can continue to give back to you. So just to give you some background information, this is a lot of work for Christina and I. In front of me right now, we have about 30 pages of notes, <laughs> which means that we had to write down those notes, do the research. Then we record and then I edit and we push it up and we make uh, two and a half hours, three hours of recording. I get it down to an hour and a half. It's just a lot of work to make us sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hours and hours. It's a definite labor of love. But when you have four other jobs, yeah, it's a little bit taxing. And the ideal goal is one of these days to be able to quit some of those jobs and focus on what we really love to do. So even at the bonus level, which is $5 a month, think about it. A cup of coffee at Starbucks is 5 bucks. It's not really hurting you, but it's helping us tremendously. And you get more content. I know we talk about Patreon every episode it might get annoying but it's the only way we can survive christina and myself because we don't have a company behind us and it's the only way to get the word out there so that's another way that you can help us if you're not already subscribed make sure you do that tell your friends about it leave us a rate and review on itunes that really helps to push the word further so we get more ears on things and let's make this community bigger so to reiterate if you want to join patreon go to coffeeclatchcrew.com Check out all the content we have there. It's getting huge. And while you're at it, click on Patreon, give it a month, and see if you dig it. And even in that month, you might win something. So it's win-win for you guys. <laughs> but we have one more thing, which is new, that's pretty cool. We now have a voicemail system. So now you have even more options. You can tweet us, you can Facebook us, you can email us, or you can leave us a voicemail which will play on the podcast. And this voicemail could be answers to questions that we give our Patreon members. For example, our bonus this month, we asked our Clatchers in preparation for some of the main content we're going to talk about. What would humans look like if we didn't live on Earth? So that's how would our physical bodies evolve. For instance, living on a space colony, living on another planet such as Mars. How would things change? Westworld has brought up a lot of different theories and topics of discussions. We've been considering what is alive, what does it mean to be alive, and not just limited to your physical form and your consciousness, such as in Westworld, but also do we have a soul or a spirit? If we do, what happens to it after we die? That brings up the second big topic of conversation. Do you believe in reincarnation? So those questions that we ask our Patreon members can now be answered via a voicemail. And if you're not a Patreon member and you don't plan to be, you could still use this voicemail, it's free, of course, to give us your thoughts on the episode that we're doing at that time. So you just watched Westworld episode 9 and we're going to do a review that week. You can give us a voicemail saying what your MVB is and why. And now, instead of us just reading what you wrote, we'll play your voice and you'll really be part of the CKC podcast. So this is the number to call ckc.6606. That's 252-368-6606. 
call, leave us a short voicemail because if it's brief, we'll be able to play it on air or at least parts of it on air. And we think this is another layer to being part of the crew, part of the friendship that we're cultivating here in front of the water cooler discussing our favorite shows and movies. Let's get back to that conversation. It's been ongoing since Westworld ended, since the finale. We have a lot of Clatcher's questions and comments. Really great. Thank you, as always, for writing in. We had brought up how Kohana could be in the sublime. When Akichita goes there and he finds that she's already there, we had kind of differing opinions on how that could happen. Mine was correct, but (laughs) push on. Angela talks about how we know cold storage was emptied pre-gala, and she says once we see Kohana in the sublime, the question is, why did Akichita only see her once he passed in there himself? Possibly because he just wasn't looking for her or he didn't see her lost in the shuffle, kind of what I said. His attention was on Maven, her daughter, trying to get the rest of his tribe out. Or her theory is it's really all about memory, which the series and the last few episodes have been exploring. A fulfillment of Akichita's own words, you live as long as the last person who remembers you. In the sublime, all he needed was the memory of her, his perfect memory no longer or ever needing the body and the flesh as it's all code anyway for the hosts. The episode gave us so many examples of this. Dolores rebuilds Bernard and Arnold from her memory. The Forge creates a virtual version of Logan from James Delos's imperfect memory. It would also explain why Dolores has to physically plug in Teddy's brain ball at the Forge to allow his code to cross into the sublime. She can't build Teddy from her memory as she's not going to enter herself. Wow. I really like that theory. That's a good answer, right? And it, it makes a lot more sense practically than either of the thoughts we were considering. It does, but I still like mine as well. Okay, let's not go down that road. <laughs> We've explored it so fully. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> we have so much but to get to. This one has more meaning to it and a lot more depth. And I, I love this one, actually. It's more of a heaven this way. And that's exactly what the sublime is meant to be like, right? We also had some questions about Dolores in the real world, and this is something that was bugging me. We see that once she gets to Arnold's home, Dolores reprints her original physical form that she was in in Westworld to put her consciousness back into, and somebody else winds up in the Hale body. For practical reasons, I wondered why she would do that. Even if most people out there wouldn't recognize her or somehow figure out she's somewhere she's not supposed to be, you would just think it's a risk that she wouldn't want to take when you have a printer right there. You can print anybody that you want. Why take that risk? In addition to why would she be connected to that human figure that they gave her, that flesh body that she didn't choose, maybe doesn't mean a lot to her. Why would she decide to go back into it? So Angela thinks that perhaps the body is important. Why rebuild her copy of her own body and her likeness in the real world and not just stay in Hale's body, maybe it does mean something to her identity. Zuzzy believes that she's back in her original form because no one really knows who she is, so why disguise herself? She thinks it's more of a danger for Bernard to be walking around. If he was, in fact, built in the likeness of Arnold, there's a chance people in the real world could know him. Oh, wow. And we've brought that up a bunch as something that was potentially problematic even when Bernard was in the park. How could people not recognize him? Oh, that could be so interesting in season three, though. What if his real wife notices him and and goes like, Arnold? And he's like, Or has there been a bit of trickery there all along, which is kind of what we've suspected, but we can't pinpoint 
exactly how that would be? You mean as far as when season one, Bernard was speaking to his wife? Yes, or even was he built in the physical likeness of Arnold? There's got to be more to that story about why that problem hasn't happened yet. I think it was the physical likeness, but I don't think that was his wife because she would have been calling, calling him Arnold. So I think that was a program speaking to him via the uh, FaceTime. Correct, but they could have taken that from Arnold's actual wife. It might still look like what she looked like in the right. real world. Yeah. and so. Yeah, and it's just a program on a, on a television. The more I think about it, the more I believe that. It wasn't the real wife because she would have called him Arnold. Mm, yeah. And been like, you, you haven't been home for 10 years. What the fuck? <laughs> Scott P. is wondering about the team-up between the Man in Black and Dolores. Did it seem way too easy for them to team up? And why did that not seem to matter in the end? We had discussed that in the finale. There's so much history between Dolores and William. We've been keeping them kind of separate throughout the entire season, and they finally meet up in the finale. Dolores says she needs him in order to fulfill her mission and get to the forge. The man in black wants to get her out of the way. But ultimately, it just winds up in a very quick showdown where we expected we were going to see more of that relationship play out. Yeah, to reiterate... In our spoiler section, we were looking at the preview. We saw those two together, and we thought, this was a great storyline. This will be great. They team up. What's going to happen? And we were ultimately disappointed for the quick... I even made the joke like they went one mile (laughs) uh, together, and then they had that showdown. And Scott, as far as what you were saying, I agree with you. He didn't seem to do too much. Too easy to team up. They kind of nullified that question with them still being at odds, saying, you know, we will team up now, but the minute we're not in the same pattern, one of us is going to kill each other. So I think that's that whole conversation was to mitigate that question. But surely we have to see that eventually, right? The conclusion of the Dolores Man in Black storyline. I think the conclusion of that storyline in reality was the flashback scene we saw with young William getting older, talking to Dolores, and being such an asshole. Oh, you think that's it? I think that was the the crux. The the real crux, yes. Well, along those lines, we also had practical questions coming back to that scene about the bullet that Dolores placed into the man in black's gun. We know next to nothing about guns and the way things work, and we said it didn't seem to make sense to us. Luckily, our Clatchers shared their information, did some research. Thank you to everybody who wrote in about that. The one I'm going to read is from Stan, because it's brief, and (laughs) I was able to understand it somewhat. He says, The Man in Black carried a Lamat 1861. This gun was something of an oddity, being a 42 or 36 caliber cap and ball black powder revolver. In the center of its nine-round cylinder was an unusual 20-gauge smooth-bore barrel that could fire buckshot from an additional barrel below the pistol. The pistol had only one trigger, but a switch was located on the hammer that allowed the user to activate the cap on the buckshot barrel. In the scene, the man in black activates that switch before the final shot that causes the gun to explode. The teddy slug could have been jammed in the larger shot shell chamber in front of the shot shell making the result plausible. So we had said, how would they fit it inside of the cylinder? Mm. Because this gun holds an additional separate buckshot cylinder. That makes sense. 
but then also how would it fire off? When he's been shooting this whole time and no, but also just oh yeah, there has to be gunpowder and nothing all that directly stuff. behind yeah. it. So he's saying he could put that in front of the actual buckshot. So to all the clatchers who wrote to us about this, it we really appreciate this because it was boggling our mind. We were picturing you know uh, an eight shooter. You have that those chambers, those eight holes that you <laughs> stick the long bullet in. How do you put this flat thing? So I'm now still using my imagination, but this buckshot, I picture a flatter surface where you have the ability to just place it on top. And slightly larger. Yes, exactly. So it would fit, or at least enough. And that buckshot has the powder already in there, and that would explain so much. Why he was able to shoot so many times before that happened, because he didn't activate that last buckshot. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have come to that round without him switching over. And also, just another mic says that cylinder is a powerful single-shot barrel, and it would cause the bullet to get stuck, trapping the burning gunpowder, which would then explode the gun. It's not just a backfire. He actually exploded the gun, which is what took off part of his hand. That makes so much more sense. Oh, I like that. Thank you for the clarity. I hate when little things are bothering me, and Mm -hmm. typically I don't get stuck on it. But if it seems so wrong in my mind, a lot of times it's because I don't have the knowledge. So I really appreciate when I can kind of put something to bed inside of my own mind. Yeah, and I really appreciate it when our clatchers can recognize that it's two of us. We have our backgrounds, our art backgrounds. We know a lot of things, but we can't know everything. And as a podcaster, yes, we're being recorded. A lot of people are listening. Chances are we're going to talk about something that we don't have a background on, but we got to talk about it. And we're just going to try to make sense of it the best we can. And when we get it wrong, we have our clatchers to lean on to be like, hey, this is the the reality. This will answer your question. Um, And then we can, in the next podcast, explain that based off of what our clatchers said. I love the community. I really do. One more great thing from Just Another Mike. We had spoke about the host being able to change their core drives and really alter themselves in a way perhaps humans can't. We had been focusing that primarily on Dolores, moving from her sole fixation on the robot revolution and the idea that it's okay to sacrifice a few to save the many, her path is the right path, kind of get on board or get out of the way, to realizing if you have free will, There are separate paths. People can go about that differently. But he says, let's not forget, there were two other key hosts who had the ability and, in fact, did change their core drives much earlier than Dolores. There was Akichita, who went from preserving his tribe to spreading the truth. And there was Maeve, from escaping to the real world to saving her daughter. This brings him to the questions, was Teddy doomed to failure because the changing of his core drive was brought about by Dolores and not self-motivated? Was the one-dimensional character Sizemore the only human in the series to achieve quote-unquote sentience? What other characters were coming close? Could this be a factor in which Pearls made the cut to get into Dolores' handbag? And I think that's great. Yes, Teddy was never allowed to reach that point because first he wasn't awake and then Dolores kept changing him. He couldn't come to the fact of finding his true self. Much like the journey we see Bernard on, and that's why I'm so hopeful we'll get to see that in season three. We did talk about what humans 
either got there or we're getting close to getting there, for sure, Lee has to be the hallmark of that, right? I also think we see a bit of that with Felix. He doesn't get enough screen time to really portray it. But he's very quiet and meek and kind of always on the side of the hosts a little bit, but afraid to stand up for that. Until by the end, he says, I'm going to fight for Maeve. I'm going to take that step. What other characters were coming close? And now thinking about that mostly for hosts, because unfortunately, Dolores could only take hosts with her, barring Ford. I don't know. I think there's... Lawrence. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Lawrence had his moment. We don't really know. I guess Lawrence is one that's going to be rebuilt. I hope so. I really enjoy that character. That's going to be interesting. Hector, we think. Yeah, but as far as the character who kept repeating core lines, Hector was definitely... He didn't change his core drives yet. He was just sort of becoming woke. I don't think Dolores would take him in a million years, but again, within the park, that can be an interesting viewpoint. I think her father, Peter Abernathy, could for sure come to a lot of that evolution if given the chance and his brain isn't being messed with. Finally, we want to give a shout out to Harper Henry. He sent us a sample image of some of his amazing artwork. The one he showed to us was his Westworld art. So beautiful. As I was reading the email, I was like, oh, is he going to send it to us? And I was like, oh, no, that's too much. Like, that's real art. He's not going to just send it to (laughs) us. (laughs) That's real, legit art. But as not real, not legit artists, but people who have an enormous passion for it. We're real artists. We, ch- we try. We, don't we have, have our that. master's We don't have that kind degree. of skill is what I'm oh, saying right, right. in fine art. fine art, yeah. So it was awesome to see. Really cool. If you get the chance, definitely check oh, that out. Awesome. And thank you, Harper Henry, for showing us that. Just beautiful artwork. And again, Zippy Rich, we love you, man. Thank you so much for following us. That's another artist, comic book artist. Amazing. All these skilled people. I love it. And everyone else who wrote to us throughout the season, we read every single email. I only wish we had enough time to talk about it on the podcast. We read them all. We appreciate you guys. Keep them coming. We love you. This is going to take us into our season two reverie ratings. What do we give this season as a whole? We talked about the finale, but we held off looking at it in big picture. First, I'll say we tallied up IMDb. For season two, their average rating would be an 8.8, and Rotten Tomatoes would be an 89%. Oh, very close. And there was such a dichotomy for a lot of the episodes. It's pretty amazing that they became pretty close at the end. They wound up back on the same page. I also averaged out our ratings, Jason. I was going to originally give my grade, but I think it's only fair if whatever grade comes out, that'll be the final one. I think you're going to be happy with it. And holy shit, how close are we in ratings? Because again, we can vary a little bit episode to episode. I came out at an 8.9 and you at an 8.96. And I think that really does reflect the season. If we can talk briefly about season one, we were looking at our grades there. And granted, we did grade it very high. We were very excited about season one. IMDb's final grade for season one was 9.2. And to remind you, their season two was 8.8. Rotten Tomatoes for season one was 89%. Oh, and for season two was 89%. 89%. Christina, your grade for season one was 9.65. 
And just to remind you guys, it's 8.9 for season two. And myself, 9.77. And for season two, 8.96. I think that reflects... We went down about a point yeah. to, to kind of make that simple. I know that we had our problems with season two. And perhaps we rated a little too high on our scale for season one. We got over-enthusiastic about a perhaps. new show. Yeah. But we're not that far down, is what I'm saying. And now one of our favorite sections, MVB. So the most valuable being for all of season two. And as promised, we went on Twitter. We asked our Clatchers, who is your MVB for this season? And for this season, of course, Twitter only allows us four. We had a fight or a discussion, a very uh, passionate discussion. Well, about our fourth option, I think the first three were pretty clear. That's Maeve, Dolores, and Bernard. And the fourth one, we were mixed between the Man in Black and Ford. And we went with Man in Black. The results are in. Coming in fourth and last place with only 7% was the Man in Black. It makes sense. It was ultimately a little disappointing. I say that awkwardly because I don't know if that's the right word. I say that a lot, don't I? I don't know if that's the right word. No, I I definitely agree. It was billed to be... More. More. Third place with 22% is Dolores. That's understandable. She wasn't very likable, but that was on purpose. It's not a reflection on the writing or the actress. She did amazing. And how skinny is that woman? Holy shit. Oh, my goodness. I thought you were skinny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she also accomplished, let's face it, almost all of her goals. I mean, she lost Teddy. That was a major loss for her, but... She lost Teddy uh, way before he died. She achieved more than any other character, I would say. She was ruthless, just not likable. But to get done what she needed to get done, she couldn't be likable. Coming in second place with 30% was Bernard. The unreliable narrator and... Also, the major tool for the writers to fuck with our heads. Listen, Bernard as a character is very interesting. We loved him since season one. Jeffrey Wright kicks ass. We want to get him on the podcast. Uh, Hopefully, dreams. Someday that'll happen. The trouble is, the reason that we don't like him as much is because of what the writers had to do with him this season. Him as a character, his journey was very interesting. And if not for a lot of that trickery, I would easily vote him MVP. He had to sacrifice a lot as a character. He had to frag his brain only to be defragged in the length of a season. And it just made us upset. But uh, ultimately, he's made the most sacrifices. He's the one that created the Haven. He's the one that... He gave instructions to the Forge for Dolores to come and get her information. He chose to bring Dolores back. It turns out a lot of this was Bernard's plan, but then ultimately it was Dolores who rebuilt Bernard. So, again, you can say she kind of comes one up in that conversation. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Right. (laughs) One of those. And in first place, with a resounding 41%, is Maeve. George Orr says it well. Maeve's character accomplished the most while staying the most human and relatable. And that's true. So if you look at it from that perspective, Dolores actually accomplished more. Yeah. But we lost connection to her because of her journey. 
Maeve came really, really close and still managed to be somebody we were emotionally connected to. And I think that's why she wins out. I love George George's comments. They're always like right on par with ours. She also says that her special mention would go to Akichita for having the best standalone episode. Yeah, oh, yes. again, I wish we had Amen. several categories, you know, best one-off character, best standalone episode, most memorable. It's so hard to just boil it down to one. Joe Parks, in reply to George R, said, absolutely agree with your second part. Akichita was great. He also wrote, I love so much of this season and so many characters as they developed right in front of us. But my vote went to Bernard. The season started and ended with his story. Yeah, that's a good argument. Brian says, I debated this for a long time. Dolores is clearly out. Same could be said for Man in Black for not a lot of development and storyline progression. I've got to give it to Bernard. Though as he was basically the underlying catalyst for a lot of this season, I've got to give it to Bernard, though, as he was basically the underlying catalyst for a lot of this season and didn't know it until the end. Hmm. <laughs> Sarah said, my vote is for Maeve. She has the best and least confusing storyline this season. Plus, she is obviously some kind of Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Olivia, Teddy gave it all for Dolores. Your choices are the best for voting, but Teddy was my MVP. I love that spread. We have a lot of opinions. That's true. Teddy did give it all. That's true. But just for Dolores. So coming into our MVBs, when we think about this, we often think not just who was the most exciting, interesting, relatable, but who pushed the story forward the most. I want to go first because this is going to be one of those weird ones. I have been back and forth, back and forth. Who do I vote for? Who do I vote for? So I looked back at our podcast and I looked at who I voted for on an episode per episode basis. Episode one, Maeve. Episode two, Young William. Three, Dolores. Four, Delos, of course. Five, Maeve. Six, Ford. Seven, Ford. Eight, Akichita. Duh. Nine, Teddy. There's your Teddy, Olivia. And ten, Bernard. So I gave it to Bernard for ten. How about that? So let's break that down. I have two Maves, two Fords. A strong Akichita. It's not his fault that the writers didn't write him in in the other ones. So now I'm going to put those pieces and say that's between Maeve and Ford. Oh, shit. I'm going to go Mord. (laughs) No, I'm going to go with Maeve. Every time she was on the screen, I was very interested. Everything she said felt like something meaningful. Everything she did felt like something meaningful. She took us to other lands. She kicked some human ass. Maeve, for sure. I also had a mix of two votes throughout the season for Maeve, two for Ford, one for Akichita. But what's funny is episodes one and two and then nine and ten, I went Bernard Dolores, Bernard Dolores. Hmm. And ultimately, it does come down to those two for me. Dolores, huh? I never thought I would say this. I disliked her all season. I do think she took the finale. But for the season as a whole, I'm going to give it to Bernard. So you're right on par with Joe Parks. Yeah, I mean, Dolores accomplished more. I'm kind of going against my rules here. She did progress the storyline. But when you strip away all of the confusion they created around Bernard... 
I really do like his character arc and what mm-hmm. he went through and the things that we learned about him that we didn't know. Dolores didn't seem to change up until right until the very end. And it was so drastic that it sticks out in her mind. But the entirety of the season was like Terminator Dolores. And I just really couldn't get excited about that where I feel we've come a long way with Bernard. I have to say, I really like that vote for you. And I, I love your argument. (laughs) Well, with season two all wrapped up in a bow, that just leaves us to discuss season three. We don't know a lot. We know from what the creators have told us, a major focus of three is going to be the conflict between Dolores and Bernard and their place within the human world. No surprise. The far future that we see at the end with the man in black will not be the predominant setting for three, but it's a point in the timeline they're very much driving toward eventually. When it comes to the parks, Lisa Joy said, I don't necessarily think we've seen the last of these artificial worlds that are central to the conceit of our series as a whole, but the major lens that we will have is going to be the real world. If the park does emerge and come back, we would plan on explaining how that could be and why. <laughs> and they also say we'll definitely learn more about the other parks at some point. So that kind of makes it sound like, but not season three. Yeah. And so, you know, we were kind of back and forth on Maeve and having her inside of the park. If it's not a focus, I don't know how I feel mm. about where she goes in season three. I, I really am kind of back and forth on that. Obviously, we're going to see the most of Dolores and Bernard. So let's start with Dolores. While she put herself back in her own body, clearly she kept the Hale body for a reason. Whoever's inside of there, she could have reprinted any body for them. She could have reprinted their old body for them. She didn't. I think that means they want to still utilize the Hale persona within the real world in some way. Does that mean maintaining control over Delos and the park. They continue to have somebody who is a major figurehead there, and that means they can keep moving the pieces around how they like now. And that's an interesting prospect. Does she have a plan to keep the Westworld Park and eventually make it an actual place where they can live free? That seems like more of a teddy dream. Surely she can't think she's going to dominate the entire human world, right? Well, we discussed it together and the domination of the entire human world. I made a joke. Is she going to like go on the streets and just start killing everyone? No, that would be annoying and everyone would be pissed off. So we had started talking about infiltrating leaders in the real world. Presidents, government. um, Influential wealthy people. Exactly. (laughs) And... Killing them, she still has that machine. She still has the home that Ford left them. She can come back, reprint that body, and put one of those pearls in that body, place them back in the real world as part of her team. I think that would be interesting. And that's something we had kind of wondered about from the beginning of Westworld. The question is, to what end? What would she hope to accomplish by being in a position of power within the real world? to make it acceptable and carve out a place for them, to bring awareness to the fact that they are a separate species that is sentient and deserves a place, to promote the fact that they are actually the better species that's destined to survive. I mean, are we talking about some of the kind of classic tropes for AI that 
we let them in a little bit and then they wind up kicking humans out because mm. we've had our time and we proved ourselves unworthy. It harkens back to X-Men when they started having the government. Uh, they were against mutants and then one had a mutant son then became a mutant momentarily and changed his whole demeanor about mutants. They could go that route. Let me take 30 steps forward and make a huge hypothesis that has no grounds. What if it, that is what she does? She starts a war, destroys the world, and now the man in black host that we're seeing at the end credits is the last hope to reconstruct and fix humanity. the world. Why would they want to bring humanity back, though? They eventually realize that's a mistake? Well, I think, as, in, as anything, you come together for a cause... Once you conquer that cause or in the process of conquering that cause, there is a rift in your group who realizes you're going way too far. A maeve. And maybe there's a rift. Well, maybe a maeve. Yes. Mm -hmm. Already, we already have the tool there. And Dolores is doing way too much. She's gone. She's not only become what we hate, she's become worse than what we hate in the humans. That faction who's against Maeve brings the man in black back as their hope. I mean, talk about full circle. Holy shit. That would be a pretty interesting storyline. We see the world is kind of distraught. It's, it's run down. My own, as if yeah, and I love that. My only problem is I don't know if I see it being an all-out war. I mean, she has herself and five other people. If we're talking about sneakily infiltrating and overtaking, I think more likely just continuing to slowly replace humans with hosts yeah. or move to a world that it's human-host hybrid. But whatever ends up happening that doesn't work right, there's a reason why we wind up needing humans back. And yes, now you need a blueprint for that. And if the only person left is the man in black, which... He's not even a real human anymore. I mean, there's so many steps to get to between here and there, and I don't know how to flesh out the middle, but I think that could be Well, we a know he's, he might be the only human recorded because Bernard deleted the Correct. other. Correct. So that might be the last hope. Correct. I mean, I mean, this is, I'm just thinking of this now, so it's, <laughs> it's not fleshed out. But that would be interesting, right? We're trying yeah. to figure out what the next storyline could be. It certainly would, and it makes me wonder what's Bernard's place in all of this. I certainly think he's set up to be a counterpoint to her, to try to rein her in or bring some perspective to it. So maybe it's him that encounters humans and sees they're not all bad and is trying to bring that to Dolores's attention as she goes on a rampage. But again, how is that so different from what we saw in season two? There's got to be some kind of additional element that we're missing out there. And I think the other people that she's brought with her bring that flavor to it. Mm. There's another thing I wanted to point out. When we saw the flashback, when Arnold brought the hosts to the real world and we saw Dolores there and he showed her the beginnings of his home that he was building. They were in the middle of a metropolis. Sky rises, right? Yeah, but it almost looks like Central Park-ish where his house is. It's like this haven inside of a city. But when we saw the end of season two and they're walking to this home now and she says, Ford finished Arnold's home. Mm -hmm. And this is the real world. 
I saw nothing in the landscape. I looked above the house and I was trying to look for some sky risers, the top of tops of it, and it didn't look like it. Really? See, I thought they panned to a skyline at some point. I might be remembering wrong. You know, we got to go back and rewatch. I could have just been putting that in to my it, head. It might not mean anything, but it's something to look at. Um, Clatchers, you know, tweet us or email us or voicemail us if uh, I'm wrong there. But and that might mean something. Something is different about the real world. We've known that from the beginning. We get these really sporadic, cryptic comments about how we don't have the same concerns anymore. We've overcome things like illness, and yet we see people like James Delos getting ill. There's stuff that doesn't quite add up. You know, people having all of the money, the wealth to come to Westworld. What's going on out there? You know, what have we turned into? And that's something we've wanted to explore for quite some time now. I think that is also going to be a central thesis of season three. So that's it. We wanted to bring up the two additional things, one of which is the Alexa Westworld. <laughs> we started to check that out a little bit. It's, it's more of like trivia and questions, but... It's pretty fun, though. If you're into it and you've got Alexa, you could try it out. For me, what has completely captured me is the Westworld mobile app game. It has elements of it that are very similar to a lot of other games out there, but it totally... Mm. encapsulates the Westworld experience. It's pretty cool. Uh, you had me play it. You had me download it. I was really having fun, but I kept saying, this reminds me of the Fallout mobile game in many aspects. And come to find out they're being sued by Bethesda uh, because the company who made this Westworld game was part of that crew. And apparently they used the underlining code. So funny. It's all about code <laughs> um, to remake this one. And that's why they were able to remake it quicker. I won't go into the details. Uh, Google it. Westworld mobile game being sued. Uh, it's pretty interesting. But uh, a little further, it's a little confusing. At uh, first. At first. And then you start to get a feel of it. And it's kind of fun. But then for me, to be honest, it got a little repetitive. It hits a wall at a couple of points until you start to level up again and then more things open up to you. And that's what was exciting to me. A lot of these games wind up being just click, click, click. And for the first little bit of it, it feels like that's what the game is going to be like. But then you start realizing there's these more executive decisions to make. It's kind of like you are running your own Westworld, building hosts and taking them through the motions. And you get more challenges and more capabilities as you start to go up. Now, of course, every time you kind of max out, you're stuck with the same old for a little while. I haven't played long enough to know when that's going to hit a ceiling, but I continue to be interested. I'll kind of drop it for a little while and then come back to it. It's definitely worth checking out. I agree. It's worth checking out because you kind of get to live in that world for a little bit. And it's fun. And it's free. So why not? We also discussed the fact that it's going to be delayed due to money concerns. HBO is, well, I mean, there's a lot of things to this. The creators have said in interviews that they know it's for a niche market, and if they lose people, they don't care. They're targeting a certain audience, and that's all they care about. But you know, I'm sure HBO cares like, about the whoa, viewership. Whoa. So, you know, cool. If that's what you're going to do, you get less money for the following season. Uh, who knows if that'll change the tune. 
Either way, while we had points of frustration throughout season two and it didn't always live up to the hype of season one, overall, by the time the season ended, we were generally very positive. We enjoyed the experience. We enjoyed the podcast ride, as we always do. Talking about amazing television shows, Westworld is definitely going to be in that conversation for time to come. Yeah, and it's something to think about, guys. The landscape of TV is changing. With Netflix, Amazon, they changed it forever. They destroyed Blockbuster, uh, Hollywood Video. I don't know if you remember Hollywood Video when we were young. They changed that landscape first, and now they're changing cable. More and more people, including us, I'm afraid to pull the trigger because this is our livelihood, but more and more people are getting rid of cable. And they're going for Netflix and YouTube TV and various things, Sling, all those things, and then getting HBO on its own. Here's the problem. I think HBO is in this flux section right now where they're trying to decide, what do we do? What's our next step? Because if we go the Netflix route and we just don't do cable anymore, they get so much money from the cable companies for four-year contracts or what have you. Stars does it. I think HBO is at this point where they're saying, Last year, we started the HBO Now, which is great. They're, they're starting to get those people that were cable cutters. But for HBO, which has really great shows per season, but that's it. They have HBO and that's it. Netflix buys other shows that have been on TV. Maybe it's a season late, but you get all those, right? And they have their movies and their TV shows. So I think HBO is in a flux right now where they're trying to decide, okay, do we go the Netflix route? And start making more movies and more TV shows and start buying like popular uh, television shows that were on ABC and like having it up season one through six for a year. Uh, We're seeing right now the change in media. We saw this 10 years ago with print and, and we're kind of still in it, but for the main part with print and internet. And now we're seeing it with cable. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how they respond to that well all of this change has also kind of diminished the movie industry because it's moved so much into television the way that people want to tell stories has moved away from the movie format and I always lamented that and hoped that it didn't kill it because there is something still spectacular about being able to tell an amazing story in two hours and have the experience of leaving your home and engaging with other people in a community Uh, to participate in seeing a movie. The same thing happens with television. While it's awesome to be able to binge a series and watch at your leisure, and maybe Westworld would benefit from that and would be better when binged quickly, one through ten, than having to be strung along all of these weeks to find out what happens. But you lose the water cooler, the podcast of let's watch it together, let's figure it out together, let's be somewhere at a set time and get hyped for an episode to drop at this time together. HBO has managed to keep that and be something apart from cable, from other streaming services, from other movie things. Let's face it, Showtime, Stars, Encore, none of them can compare, compare with HBO. They're okay in their little box right now, and I hope they stay in their little box because they're different and they don't have to be either. After all, it's not TV. It's HBO. <laughs> fucking HBO. Anyway, that's 
bonus territory. We're off on a tangent. What we wanted to say is we have enjoyed this ride thoroughly of season two Westworld. We hope that you have as well. We hope that the bonus episode helped to wrap up some thoughts on this. I'm sure there are things we missed, but we will be back for season three. And as we mentioned before, there is so much fun in between now and then. Make sure you stay tuned in. You follow us on Twitter, Facebook, at our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, and check out Patreon. And don't forget to go to our main channel, Coffee Clatch Crew, on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe to that one so you don't miss any podcast episode. And don't forget to call us, ckc.6606. That's 252-368-6606. Drop us a line. Till next time, this round's on me.